Apple presents events at the Apple Store. We would like to invite you to enjoy the trailer for Somebody Up There Likes Me. The last five years I wake up and it's like something fast forwarded beyond my control. Some of you probably know that Max had one marriage go south prematurely. I think we might have made a mistake. But this one looks like it's all systems go. Of course, that other one may well have looked like that at the beginning. You think about celebrities? If you ever get married again, don't tell your wife anything. No, I fantasize about you. Stop it. Hey. Any questions? How do you pronounce that? Chateaubriand. How old are you? Um. Surely you don't have to think about that. I'm starting to think we should send this one back. Well, I'm a little early for that. And yet it wasn't too early for you to stoop the nanny. So it's time to what? Hmm? I'm poor and lazy and old. You know how you know when you're old? When you sneeze and lose a tooth. If any of the money frees up from Lila's father, I really wouldn't mind a boob job. It's weird and we're at a funeral, but I feel like you're giving me permission to look at your... I would like to see you in just panties. Oh, hey. Please welcome today's guest moderator, Eric Cohen from IndieWire, and our special guest, Nick Offerman. Hey, everybody. We go way back to about five minutes ago. Good evening. So, Nick, uh, the director of this film is a man named Bob Byington, whose last movie, uh, Harmony and Me, wasn't exactly what you would call a blockbuster. So I'd be curious to know when you first encountered his work and, and what interested you in working with him here. I, uh, we call it a blockbuster at my house compared to his previous film, Registered Sex Offender, AKA RSO. I met Bob in 1998 making a movie called Treasure Island, which I'm told the brass at Tribeca are digging out uh, to make available again. It's hard to get a hold of right now. Probably my finest work to date, Treasure Island. Uh, I have a lot of sex in it. Not a joke. And uh, Bob Byington and I kind of hit it off. He was the script girl on that movie. And uh, he's a very smart, funny writer. And so we sort of stayed in touch. He. Uh, inexplicably liked something about the way I say his dialogue. And so I have small parts in his earlier films and he kept threatening to write me a role of size and here he has gone and done it. Well, what, what I would say having seen some of the other films is that this seems like a, a, a much more polished work in some ways. It seems, there's an element of, of a much bigger kind of scheme that the philosophy of the film it's trying to say something about life experience in spite of kind of the, the goofiness. 
and and uh, you know, for you, I mean, your style is very much sort of a deadpan approach to comedy, uh, even right Thank now, you. I would say. So, uh, <laughs> uh, when Bob approached you with this role, was there was there anything about uh, what he had in mind that that he sort of gave you leeway for, or, or is he the kind of guy who's just sort of committed to a vision and you had to stick to that? Um, he he is very particular or persnickety, um, but he asked me to produce the film with him, and uh, because of the of the more sort of epic feel or uh, generally. Uh, the, the the story sort of covering life in general rather than a more casual small slice of life. Um, he also attracted uh, another producer named Hans Grafunder, who came to us from The Sopranos, which was a television program earlier on HBO, and uh, and now he's one of Terrence Malick's producers. He's a filmmaker who's been around longer than Bob and. Um, He's an amazing producer, and he was sort of the dad, and I was sort of the mom uh, of the two producers. And uh, I, I drew the line at breastfeeding with Bob. Uh, he's a he's a nibbler, um, but we uh, we definitely thought that this was a, a step up, and it was the first time that we got a DP, <laughs> which is very exciting, and. Um, I was thrilled that uh, that Bob allowed us because he he is very uh, particular about the sort of casual nature of his filmmaking being a part of his storytelling, and uh, so the fact that we were able to set up shots and actually use a dolly once in a while was quite thrilling. Talk a little bit more about being a producer because that's not a role that you know is, is something that's it's been a big part of your career up until this point. I mean, were there any surprises or, or sort of things that you weren't expecting, you know, based on how you've been, you know, involved in film and TV productions in the past? Um, well, the, I, I don't aspire to be a producer uh, or a director, but I've recently done both because my friends asked me to, and when it's collaborating with my friends, it doesn't feel like a, a job. Uh, it, it reminds me of my theater company in Chicago, the Defiant Theater, where it's just, you know, 12 of us busting our asses to do something funny or moving. And so uh, I don't feel like I'm a great producer per se. Uh, I don't know how to do paperwork at all. That's Han, Hans kind of ran the office and I ran the set. And so I, I call myself a creative producer. And it was just, it was really fun to, uh, you know, to be asked. <laughs> Should we, uh, do you like the yellow blouse or the blue blouse? And I would say, blue. <laughs> Clearly. Um, that was very satisfying. And it, but it, I mean, it was very low budge. Uh, I built a couple Apple boxes for the shoot. We were, we were at an airport and we wanted to follow our cute lead actor around. So I built a, a shit out a dolly of some sort. I had my, my truck full of tools. So you know what I mean? It wasn't like sitting around with the Weinstein smoking cigars and like, bring Gwyneth over here. Let me check out her legs. We'll, we'll talk more about that cute lead actor in a little bit. But uh, one of the things that, I, that I'm curious to learn a little bit more about is the way that this film moves is, is, is sort of jarring and unorthodox at first. Uh, it, it covers 
quite a number of years in a short period of time, and yet the characters don't age that much, and you know certain things happen that kind of throw you off. What I mean, what, what did you expect about the rhythm of this film when you first encountered it, and when you saw the final product? Did, was that what you were expecting, or, or did he sort of throw a ringer in there? Uh, no, it, it, like I said, Bob, um, he, he kind of knows what he wants from the moment he turns in the script. And so I think that the, the jarring uh, leaps forward in time have a sense of humor to them. You know, uh, somebody will be talking about, I just paid a visit to the doctor. Seems like everything's fine, but it was a pretty cheap doctor. And then it cuts to, some, to their gravestone. Uh, you are correct. <clears throat> spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. So why don't we look at a clip? <laughs> yes, you want to set this up? Yeah, the first one is um, is <laughs> when you meet the lead and myself, uh, we work as waiters in a steakhouse, a very Tony steakhouse in Austin. And um, we're not particularly thrilled with our lives. And some of that comes out in sarcasm in the way we deal with our customers. Let's take a look. Seven interceptions. That's right. Hello. I guess you're off tonight. Yeah, tonight I'm not working. May I start you off with a cocktail? How about you, Dad? A glass of wine and a sense of humor? <laughs> Would you like to hear about our starters? No. You sure about that? That's generous, thank you. So have you ever legitimately waited tables before? I've never waited tables, uh, knock on wood. I, um, instead of being a, a waitress, I worked as a carpenter. So I, I've, had, I've had to make a lot, my, my rent doing a lot of things. I just never waited tables. There, there is an element of emotion, whether or not you could tell in these individual scenes, that I think that a lot of people can relate to. When it's, when it's so sort of offbeat and irreverent, some might even say quirky, you know, what do you have to bring as a performer to sort of guarantee that people are still going to feel for these characters and relate to them on some level? Gosh, uh, I don't think, you know, at, at least in my own work, my mind is not so expansive as to be able to look at the big picture. I think we all still approached it the same as we do anything and uh, only by trying to play the, the work as realistically as possible um, can we hope to, to bring across the desired effect. It's, you know, it's up to the filmmaker to take our scene work and uh, edit it and pace it in a way that he'll achieve the emotions he's going for. But, uh, you know, we, we, it was just up to us to try and be... Uh, the, uh, as uh, believable of assholes as possible. Do you come up with backstories for these characters outside of what we see on screen? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, we, uh, we always have a secret, we actors. You want to give us a hint? or No, it's, it's my secret. I have a secret right now. Well, 
then let, let me ask you this. When you started out as, as an actor, I mean, were there, were there certain challenges that you feel like aren't, aren't there for you anymore? That is, when a movie like this is it's difficult to some degree because you know, you're being asked to, to portray a character who's not the most likable persona, per se, and, and over time we kind of get used to him. And I think that's something that you do very well in, in you know, for example, Parks and Rec as well. Uh, what, what, you know, what sort of hurdles do you have to go through to, to make somebody likable? Um, so you're saying I'm, I'm appropriately cast as some as an unlikable person who eventually you grow accustomed to. Hey, you can read between the lines if you want to. But. I think that was a pretty accurate quote. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, you know, those are those are a lot more fun to play than like cute people. <laughs> Trust me, I've crunched the numbers. Um, I, I mean, the hurdles. The hurdles just involve, uh, they, they, don't, they don't involve, for me, the actual work itself. The hurdles are all about getting to do good work, getting to be attached to good writing underneath a good uh, director and, and production. Um, there's a great Robin Williams quote, who, uh, if you get sick of me quoting Robin Williams, uh, I'll stop it. One of my favorites is, uh, he says, for an actor, getting a job is your job, and when you get a job, that's your vacation. And I've always found that to be really poignant because it's not, the hurdles are just getting the chance to do anything that's decent. <laughs> you know, like, I did 20 or 30 TV shows that were like, I'm here to pick up the uh, toolbox for the detectives, and that's my whole, that's it. That's one episode of NYPD Blue. It's like, Mom, I, I had, yeah, I had two lines, two Dennis Franz's um, assistant. And so just, I mean, even in Bob's movies, I had small parts. And so to get the chance to play a, a larger role uh, is, is a great opportunity. That, but once you get there, uh, you know, luck is one opportunity meets with preparation. So... Hopefully I've, I'm ready to play, and it doesn't. It makes this more fun than difficult. Speaking of, of difficult, let's take a look at this next clip. You want to set it up? All right then. Uh, <laughs> Meaning that the situation is kind of a difficult situation. You'll see. We know what you. We know who you're talking about. Your unlikable counterpart. Um. My character uh, <laughs> goes through a divorce early on in the film. Spoiler alert. Uh, but my character goes through a divorce, and he, he's not too unhappy about it. Let's take a look. The divorce was finalized this morning. <clears throat> Someone keyed my car. Keyed the Mercedes. Excuse me? Did you hear me? Divorce? I'm sorry. You mean congratulations? Good question. Great question. Should I ask you how you feel? How do you feel? The same. It makes you wonder if you have any enemies. Don't give it another thought. Your concern is a testament to pathetic vanity. Is that your car? Thank you, that's generous. 
So earlier you mentioned that cute lead actor. Who is that mystery man? Young Keith Polson. Uh, he ran the boom on the sound crew two movies ago and was so charming they put him in the last movie and then he is the goddamn lead in this one. And I believe he's in the house. Let's call him up here on stage. What do you say, young man? Keith, you out there? Mr. Here he is. I see him. Let's bring him up, ladies and gentlemen. Keith Paulson. As advertised. Here you go. Here's your water. Pleasure. So. Check this guy out. I really didn't expect to be up on stage. I'm actually on break at work right now. I work in a law firm around the corner, so it's good to be Thank here. Thank you. It's good to see you. I'll take that one. <laughs> Just project. So we understand you, you go way back with Bob uh, from behind the scenes. I, um, so I lived in Austin, Texas, which is where Bob is based for years. And I worked at a video store, and uh, one of my coworkers at the video store was this guy, Gabe, that Bob was making a movie called Registered Sex Offender about, which I believe is on Netflix. You can watch it if you like it. Uh, sex Offender. Um, and so I just befriended Bob at the video store, and I think he liked the way that I interacted with this coworker of mine. So he literally just kind of invited me to help out with the movie, and then now it's like a six-year running sort of working relationship. So, But obviously, stepping up to be a lead actor from being the boom mic guy is not the most orthodox way to, to climb the ladder. Yeah, it's weird. It, wasn't, it obviously wasn't planned, just like me being up on stage right now wasn't planned, but I'm here. Um, I think Bob just liked that I like movies a lot and know a lot about movies, and then I got really comfortable with Bob to where, kind of in the way that you were talking about it being like a theater company, it just was like a collaborative thing where throwing me in there just felt like, that's what I should do. We're helping to make this thing, then I should, if they need me there, then I'm there. And then for this movie, it was more like, I think after Harmony Me, which I did have a part in, um, I think he, he just liked the way that I was on screen and it was like not totally actorly. Like I think Bob likes to mix sort of trained actors with a little bit more of non-professional slash non-actor actors. Dipshits. Dipshits. No nothings. People with low self-esteem. And, uh, and so that's kind of, how it went, and uh, when he was writing the script, he was talking about how he was, wanted me and Nick in it together, so I had a lot of time to kind of mentally prepare myself, and I knew Bob, which helps. He's this very particular type of person, so I think it helped having six years of knowing him and his directing style for when we made this. So you're saying you spent six years preparing for this role? I spent six years preparing for this role. Serious method acting. Excuse me for one second. Your hair is beautiful. It's long, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really... I haven't had a haircut since I saw you are, last week. Are those curls natural? No. <laughs> hours, hours every morning. Good answer. I can see you guys have great chemistry on screen and off. We have fun. I, I almost want to describe the movie as a buddy comedy. Uh, in its own sort of way, but I, but I am curious to learn more about how the two of you sort of got to know each other for the parts and, and you know, collaborated to figure out how you wanted to come across on screen. Honestly, I think, I mean, w w when we met working on the two previous films, we got along well and, and uh, had an easy friendship, 
because we're, I think because we're both smart asses, uh, we shrug and, and sort of stand away from everyone else and make wry, sardonic comments about the goings-on. But I think also that we both are good at putting up with Bob, the filmmaker. I think that's a key ingredient that uh, when he... Um, when he delivers scathing criticism to us, we're able to allow it to run off our shoulders. Yeah. He can be uh, mean. Not mean, but like, uh, he's, he knows what he wants, and he knows that like, we know him well enough that we should know what he wants. And sometimes when there's that lag, he can snap, and it just helps to know that where it's coming from is somebody knowing what they want, and you aren't connecting to it. So it's usually helpful, but if you're... This is like your first acting gig and you've never met this guy before. It might put you in a corner rather than making you rise to the occasion. They call him the Werner Herzog of Austin, Texas. Yeah. Somebody's got to do yeah. it. So he's not big on improvisation then? He, d he actually enjoys improv, um, but, he, but he's a great writer. So he generally, he, he likes playfulness. And sometimes if, if something's not sounding right to him, he'll ask us to improvise and then he'll glean what he wants to from it and then rewrite the scene which is more sort of like a Mike Lee approach uh, but it is it, it feels very organic even though we end up generally shooting the script very carefully and, and were you were you surprised with the way that this movie turned out uh, you know after after going through I mean there's a lot of it that you certainly can't see when you're shooting in the animated sequences and music cues and so forth I mean that's true, but I uh, I think that we made the script. I mean, I think we did a pretty faithful job of making the script that I saw in my mind. So whether there, you know, I think that we knew that there'd be these transitions to get through the years, and I had heard early on that animation was possible. So I mean, it's one of those things where was it exactly how it came across? Um, no, but I'm sure it never is. But uh, the movie to me feels like we made what I was hoping we would make, which is all you can. You know, so that's easy to be happy about because the script's, you know, a strange script. And, you know, it, it, th the reason I wanted to make it was, like, I kind of don't know what this movie is. I don't know what other movie is exactly like this movie. And then when I watch the movie, it's kind of like, I don't know what, you know, we made something pretty unique. So, so we're going to go to questions in just a second. But one thing that I feel like I'm, I have to touch on here is that it's a packed house on a Saturday afternoon. And, and Nick, to some degree, this... I would assume that there's some connection with a role that people are familiar with from TV that, that you're on that they like quite a bit. Um, the George Lopez program. Exactly, yeah. It was the character's name is Randy. <laughs> not, not appreciated as much as it should be, but um, honestly, the, the, the thing that I think is, Thank you. is, is um, interesting here is, is that this, this film is, is not something that I think a lot of people are used to if they just go see, you know, whatever the big multiplex releases. Is there is there a sort of a one for them, one for me kind of approach you have to your career at this point? You know, given these the the other kinds of opportunities you have. Not particularly. I mean, that's an interesting question. But uh, I'm I'm a theater actor from Chicago, and so when you sort of take the plunge and go to New York or L.A., for most of us, uh, we just hope to get a nice job that we can stomach uh, that that will pay us which, of course, Parks and Rec is so much more than that because it's actually the greatest part I've ever had. And, like, it's, it's, an inc it's like winning a lottery ticket once a week. Um, but it, 
ultimately you hope that you can get a job like that so you can then afford to do films like this or theater pieces which don't pay that well. Um, I find working on something like this so much more satisfying and interesting than any big movie. Um, that's why I passed on the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, as well as the Silver Linings thing. I just... No Argo, huh? No, I mean, Russell's okay, but he's no Byington, you know? And that's what I said to him. And that's why I have this wound healing near my eye. We're friends again. Um, but no, I, uh, I, I, I've definitely been opened up to more opportunities since I got my job on the television program. But um, my favorite opportunities are that I can bring something like this to more of the public rather than, you know, um, a, a more big budget item. All right, so let's take some questions. Starting right here. How much of your time is spent now looking for work and trying to find people to work with, and then how much is spent creating work for yourself, more like, more like this? Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm uh, what the literati would call a lucky son of a bitch. And so, uh, it, like last year, I did six movies on top of the TV show. Some of them were shorter shoots a day or a week, but some of them were long. So at the moment, I'm trying to find time off, um, which is stupid <laughs> for an actor. Like, like quit giving me jobs. Um, it feels horrible to even say that. Uh, but it's just because I'm a lucky son of a bitch and I got this part. Um, and and so uh, what I what I am trying to do I have to be much more selective about what I choose to do with my off time. Um, and uh, I, I would much rather fill it with things like this. I am developing things for myself. I have a film that I'm concocting. Uh, my wife and I have some things going on involving both the song and the dance. Um, but generally, I'm, I'm uh, just having a good time and hanging on and enjoying the ride until everyone gets sick of me and I become a janitor again. Touching. Yes, hi. Um, I just had a question about how it is transitioning from being this one type of character on a long-running long series to now being an actor in actual movies and having people recognize you as being... Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec and seeing you on screen, how, do you, how have you been dealing with that and just how has the transition been? Um, well, the transition, uh, the weird thing is, is playing one character for so long because I've been lucky enough to work for many years uh, in theater, film, and TV and I love playing vastly different characters and Ron is just another one of those characters I'm just sustaining it uh, in a way that I never have had to before. So it's, it's you know, uh, I'm very grateful for it, but what, what I always want to say to people when they're like, oh, I can't see Ron Swanson as anything else, I want to say, well, actually, that I, I actually do a great many other things, and maybe that will come to pass or not. Uh, but I, I generally don't worry about it. When, when handed a, a gift horse, 
It's impolite to check its teeth. You just take the horse home and put it to work. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about coining a phrase about that. I'll get back to you. Hi. Um, what brought you to Austin, and why are you there? What brought me to Austin? I guess, uh, I guess Bob Byington brought me to Austin. He, uh, he sort of set up his home base there. I had been to South by Southwest with the film that we met on, Treasure Island. Um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but it's a terrific film. I have a lot of sex in the film, and it's going to be available. Tribeca, I heard, is starting um, a, a new channel, possibly, that Tribeca something, what's it called? It's going to be cool. It's going to like pull more obscure, hard-to-find titles where in which I have sex. Um, we're still working on the name of the channel, but this film Treasure Island is quite something. And I went to South By in I think 98 or 99 with the movie. That was my first visit to Austin. Austin is possibly the greatest city in the country. Um, gets a little hot there in the summer, but other than that, it's, it's inexplicably uh, the opposite of what you think of when you think of Texas, when you're watching the map on election night. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I love it very much, and so does my wife, and we love working with Bob, and he's got a, a great thing going there. It's so supportive of the filmmaking community. I mean, this film that we made uh, for somewhere like in, in the mid six figures would probably cost us six times that. If we, if we did it in Los Angeles or in this neighborhood. Also, ridiculously excellent barbecue, I should mention. Hi. Uh, well, first I want to say um, Ron Swanson is one of my favorite characters on TV, so thank you for the endless laughs that you've given my me. My pleasure, thank you. Um, but I also want to ask... It's a quality program. <laughs> it is. But how do you compare working on a show like Parks and Rec to filming a movie like somebody up there likes me, and do you find one process more preferable to the other? They're, they're pretty vastly different. Uh, something like Parks and Rec, we are so pampered and babied that uh, it's wonderful to have your bottom wiped, as you may recall. But at the same time, you try to remember that you have to go out in the world and, and, and uh, maintain your own techniques for cleaning your backside. And so... On one hand, and it, it also each episode of our show is 21 and a half minutes long, and there are 10 regular characters. And so uh, the, the amount of work that goes into uh, a day involves a lot more in, intensely focused work on, on maybe two or three minutes per week, uh, as opposed to working on a film like this where we're working maybe 14-hour days creating a, a 80 or 90 minute feature. Um, so, so they're pretty different and both incredibly fun. I mean, Parks and Rec is ri a ridiculous amount of fun getting to work with those people and that production and that writing is incredible. But I grew up on a farm and I come from little theater companies in Chicago. So this feels a lot more like home to me where I can see all 25 of us making the film the whole time. Um, and we get to take our clothes off more in this, which I don't want to give too much away, but you'll see. 
It stays in this room. Next question. Please don't tweet about that. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, everyone loves your facial hair. And um, I think you. it might be Thank the you. actual reason that you're so successful. I don't know. But, um, That's in this, a great compliment. Thank you. In this movie, you had um, facial hair. And right now, you have facial hair. So my question is, what is your preferred style of facial hair? Terrific question. Uh, <laughs> glad you all came out for that question about my whiskers. Um, I, uh, I love having uh, f both facial hair and hair on my head that grows rampantly, which allows me to uh, Lon Chaney-like achieve many different looks and characters. And, and so I, I suppose if I could only do one thing, I would have a huge beard and a ton of hair um, and work in my wood shop. But as an actor, uh, they're both great tools and I'm thrilled that uh, my mustache in this instance um, has allowed me to ride its coattails to some degree of success. Keith should probably answer yeah, this question. Yeah, it's not too. working over here. Yeah, how's that, how's that working? Oh yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I know, right? This <laughs> <laughs> is like nine months of work. <laughs> Um, you mentioned uh, quoting Robin Williams, so I was curious uh, if you had any comedians that have inspired your work um, through your career, or if you have a favorite comedy that you remember as inspiration. Um, there's, a, there's a Laurel and Hardy skit that I love called The Music Box that uh, my wife and I derive a lot of inspiration from. Um, uh, you know, I... I, I I'm not a student of comedy per se. I, I, I didn't come up through the ranks of comedy. Uh, and so, sure, I mean, I, I love uh, great comedians. Um, I, I find Will Ferrell to be very inspirational. Uh, he understands more fully than anyone that uh, the more you make an ass of yourself, the funnier it is. Um, and my wife, to be perfectly honest, is such a a comedy legend. I, I feel like I've been studying at her school for 13 or 14 years. And I'm hot for teacher. What's up? Hi. Um, you've worked with your wife in many different projects, but this time you actually are a producer and you have quote-unquote creative control over her. How is that experience different from your other projects? Good question. Uh, in life, she is my legal property. I don't know if you're familiar with the bands of marriage. But d definitely check out the paperwork before you get into it. Um, so, you know, she is always under my creative tutelage. Uh, she's by far my finest piece of acreage in my holdings. And um, no, she, uh, it's, it's always amazing working with her. Uh, she, we love collaborating and depending on the piece, you know, if I'm a guest star on Will and Grace, then I'm asking questions and trying my best to be a student, bless you. And uh, if she's a guest star on Parks, then we're, we're like a comedy team and we're just trying to disgust Amy Poehler with our public displays of affection. Um, on this film, you know, when, when you have uh, a, a ridiculous virtuoso show up to play on your team, you tend not to give them a lot of coaching. Just, you just tell everyone else to pass them the ball as much as possible. Um, I, I just, and 
she's just so good at trying to make me laugh. Uh, there was one scene on my TV show where I was supposed to stand there and be unmoved, and she just gently rubbed her breasts up and down on my arm. And it was the hardest task I've ever had to take that, to stand there and take it, and uh, not allow my tumescence to become visible. Look it up. Hi, um, I have a very monotone voice, and I noticed that you do also, and it's held me back in certain ways, so I was wondering if it's ever held you back. I think, yeah, I think if there was more dynamic to my voice, I'd probably really be get going places. Um, <laughs> Keith, do you, you have kind of a monotonous voice. Do you want to weigh in on that? Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, just keep using it. You'll get there. People t t have told me to perk it up, talk faster, or like, uh, let's try it with a little more energy. They've told me that my whole career, and I always thought they were wrong, and, uh, and so I still talk that way. Um, so, you know, if, if, you can, if you can achieve what you're after, with that voice, more power to you. If not, pick up the pace a little bit. Um, hi, were either of y'all's first professions, like were y'all wanting to get into acting? I know that you, Nick, were kind of pursuing comedy, but Keith, were you initially pursuing that or? Um, no, pursuing is, would be way, 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 way too strong of a word for much that I've done. Um, I, I fell in, I always had an interest, like as a kid I always liked performing and then for whatever reason when I was like a teenager I got like weirdly shy, like didn't like talking. And so then I think you get this idea of well I'm not an actor, I'll never be an actor. You, you associate what an actor is. And somehow I got really, really involved and interested in filmmaking and film and went to school for film and suddenly I'd be working on films where people would be acting and I would just think that like, oh that's if that's acting, whatever I could do is act. You know, like, and so I came into it more as like, like I was saying earlier, it was just a way to be involved in another aspect of film and like wanting to make films myself. I think it was important for me to try it so that I would know what it's like to be an actor. Um, but it definitely wasn't something where I, I'm not studied. I, I don't have an agent. I don't have a manager. I don't, um, that's, I, that's I lucked clear. out. I lucked out. That's perfectly clear. I, th I think, I mean. Because I just said it. <laughs> it's perfectly clear now. I'll, I'll, just as a small correction, I did not, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I um, never was involved in comedy. Uh, I'm a, I went to theater school and was much snobbier than uh, students of comedy. And then I realized that comedy was a great place to end up in my late 30s. Uh, until then, I just played a lot of rapists. Would you, do you see yourself going into like being like totally exclusive to films or would you go to more TV work? Like where do you see your career going after Parks and Recreation is over? Um, I'll tell you right to your face, this film, Somebody Up There Likes Me, is available uh, starting March 12th. It's going to be all over the place and uh, you'll be able to find it 
on several channels, including a company called Itunes. Is that? You have the slight accent. Itunes. You have the right basic idea. Yeah. Um, we're also going to be showing it at BAM, which is the Brooklyn Academy of Manhood. This is March 29th, and it's playing for an entire week. Is that what you were asking? I, ju I just hope... Uh, I'm an actor, so there's none of us that can say, well, I'd like to exclusively work with only the finest film directors once this dream job is over. Uh, I hope I can still get jobs, and I hope that it's... I don't, I don't care if it's film or TV or theater, if it's good writing and good people... That's what I love to do, and so I, j I, I hope I'm lucky enough to keep getting to do it. And still make canoes too, right? And make canoes and stuff in my shop. I'm making some ukuleles this summer, which I'm quite excited about. All right, so if you like what you see here and you know where to find the movie, thanks so much for coming out, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks.